0: Juneteenth marks the day in 1865 slaves in Texas learned they were free, even though slavery wouldn't be truly abolished until the 13th Amendment. But that wasn't the end of discrimination. Far from it. And today, black Americans still feel the effects of slavery. A few examples. Black Americans earn, on average, about $30,000 less than white Americans. And a typical black family's net worth is 10 times less than a white family's. So how to close that gap? One answer is reparations, and that's something California is now considering. A state task force is spending the next two years crafting reparations proposals for black Californians. It's the first effort of its kind in the nation. The group held its first meeting earlier this month. One of the members is Lisa Holder. She's a Los Angeles civil rights attorney and she joins us now, welcome.
1: Hello, nice to be here. Great to have you. Well, what is the mandate for this task force? Well, the task force was convened based on a law called AB 3121 that that was passed through the California legislature. That will entail uh, two years of us working together to call together information um, about the history of racism in the state of California, um, prepare a written document, a written report that outlines that history and the the present day discrimination against African-Americans, and then makes recommendations that are based on the construct of reparations to repair the harm that African-Americans in California have experienced due to racism and discrimination.
0: Wow, that is a huge task. No wonder it's gonna take two years, especially Mm -hmm. since, wow, the history of racism, you could spend your entire career talking or researching that. California was a free state in 1850, but
1: was there slavery in the state? California came into the Union technically as a free state. However, there were many enslaved people in the state of California. You know, in terms of the gold rush, you saw Mm. many uh, Southerners coming to the state of California and bringing their slaves to mine gold. Um, And there was a lot of controversy around it because many of the folks um, who were mining gold felt like it was unfair competition to be able to bring your slaves to mine the gold for you. So there was a lot of uh, controversy around that issue. But um, there were many, many enslaved people and people who had liberated themselves and escaped to the state of California were constantly under threat of being returned to their slave states. California is one of the only states that passed its own individual law requiring slaves, freed slaves or slaves who had escaped to be returned to their owners.
0: And so are you looking at reparations for direct descendants of enslaved people or? pretty much all African-Americans in the state of California?
1: We're looking at reparations for all African-Americans in the state of California. Obviously, slavery is a a critical foundational part of, of this narrative, but discrimination did not end after slavery ended. There are tremendous forms of discrimination that continue until the present day and we see them manifest in these disparate outcomes, like the ones that you talked about, like the racial wage gap, right, the racial wealth gap. Those are indicative of the impact of generations of discrimination and racism, you know hmm.
0: And so once you're finished with the first part of this the the research and the discovery part, if you will. Then there's the solutions part, which you will also propose solutions, correct, as to what the reparations
1: will look like? Right, that's exactly right. So once we compile all the information about the different forms of racism and discrimination, then we will outline solutions and and come up with specific policies and practices that should be employed to start to repair the harm, you know, to start mm-hmm. to repair things like the massive um, racial wage gap and the and the racial wealth gap.
0: And I suppose that's where the biggest source of potential controversy lies in exactly how to carry this out.
1: Yeah, the potential controversy could lie there because for political or ideological reasons. There are going to be some people who will be opposed to reparations programs. You know, we live in a state where affirmative action has been banned, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, One of only eight states in the country that has actually banned affirmative action programs. So there is an element in the state that's going to be very critical of any sort of uh, reparations suggestions or package. And we have to be mindful of that Um, and so uh, tread very carefully in terms of putting together a very, very strong analysis, a very strong case for reparations, differentiating it from affirmative action and um, explaining that pathway that we took to come up with the solutions.
2: The cows context of white supremacy. Uh, gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, January 12, 2022. So I have been told, I hope this does not cause confusion uh, in any way, shape, form. Uh, first and foremost, I hope this does not cause confusion with what time the cows typically broadcasts our normal broadcast time is 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We are on way earlier than that. This is not normal. Normal time is 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific. But since we will be doing our 13 year anniversary next month, if we stay alive that long, uh, we do recognize the system of white supremacy racism is global. So Pretty much for the duration of the time we've been on the air, we've always said it is super important to speak to white people and non-white people all over the world about this problem because it is global. So, in order to do that from time to time, we do have to hop out of our typical broadcast spot, which again is 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That's what time will be here tomorrow and Friday, our normal time. Anywho. broadcast for today Uh, reparations I just got in trouble for that we had a listener uh, online we were talking it may have been about the reparations project in California but either way the subject matter came up and I was saying that I you know I'm not really that interested in hearing too many more non-white people talk about this I've heard a lot of that you know let's move forward and somehow that got interpreted as I am opposed to reparations which is not the case. I just said I'm not that interested in talking about or hearing too many more non white people talk about this subject matter. Been there, done that, we've done programs on that. Now, the audio segment that you heard at the beginning, that is about the California State Reparations Task Force. You heard Lisa Holder, non white female, unless I'm confused. Uh she was talking with KCRW, which is California Public Radio, about the task force, what they're I'd say ambitions are right. Lofty ambitions, uh, the timetable for all this a couple of years and whatever recommendations they come up with. Uh, we played that segment. Interesting. Uh, I reached out what piqued my interest was not, you know, that they're having this task force per se, but that they had a white historian Uh, who is a member of the task force. Uh, She is a historian at Oregon State University, uh, Stacey Smith. Uh, So I reached out to her. She's quoted a number number of articles and what have you. Reached out to her to see if we could get her as a guest on the program. Uh, She said that this work is ongoing and she's not at liberty to speak yet. Uh, She said, but in the interim, fellow colleague of mine, great research on the same subject matter, exactly what we're talking about, the task force, reach out to him. He'd be a great person to talk to in the meantime. I said, sure, even though I was a little bit thrown off and I'll get some of my own confusion cleared up today because I said this guy is in the UK, but he is doing research on California. He wrote a whole book about it. West of slavery, like, hmm, so interesting. So I wanted to know, too, if his they're using any of his research uh, in the task force. Hopefully we can get all that cleared up today. Our guest on the program per historian Stacy Smith's recommendation uh, he is a political historian of the 19th century United States with a focus on slavery, imperialism, and the American West. See, uh, he's an assistant professor of modern American history at the Durham University in England. Uh, he's currently working on a project to share the history of Biddy Mason. I uh, will ask him to give some of that information uh, today, hopefully. Uh, also, he is a member of Mayor Eric Garcetti. Remember? <laughs> everything is one degree of separation from uh, O.J. Simpson. Remember his dad? We just talked about him at the beginning. This time last year we were reading the O.J. Simpson case. Anyway, Mayor Eric Garcetti, he's on his steering committee for the creation of a memorial to recognize the non-white victims of the 1871 Los Angeles Chinese Massacre. I think I've been saying for a good year now that the Masters of anti-Asian violence are classified as white. Yet another <laughs> example. Our guest joining us live from the UK. Pleasure to have him on the program. Can't wait to talk about his research on the reparations project in California. Dr. Kevin Waite. Dr. Waite, are you with us, sir?
3: I am. Thanks so much, Gus.
2: A pleasure to have you on the program Glad we were able to get you on uh, at the beginning of the year to discuss this very interesting topic. And uh, wow, you have so much great research uh, on all of this. I guess for our listeners, before we get started, uh, anything that you would like to share with our audience in terms of the research that you do?
3: Um, yeah, I, I guess I would just say that my accent might be a little confusing. I do teach in the UK, but I'm from California. I'm a native of LA. Uh, and so a lot of my research is sort of rooted in Los Angeles, uh, and the history of, of slavery and racism and racial violence in LA, which, you know, you alluded to this, it extends to, to lots of non white folks. Um, and, and there's a deep and a, and a deeply tragic history there.
2: Bang. okay, that knocked out one of my questions, so are you born in <laughs> Sorry, California?
3: Then, yes, I was yeah,
2: okay, okay, now I'm making sense, making sense uh for folks who have not seen you are a white man
3: i am
4: okay
2: uh let's see uh for I, even before I get to my definition uh I am a non white male victim of racism, white supremacy. I've concluded that frequently when white people speak about racism and or when white people speak to non-white people they are not accurate they're dishonest sometimes it's deliberately sometimes they'll say it's not deliberate whatever the case frequently individuals classified as white are not truthful when speaking about racism and or talking to non-white people that's been my conclusion so in that vein, do you think it's reasonable, logical for me as a non-white person to be suspicious of anyone classified as white, including yourself?
3: I think there, there is some justification for that. I mean, there's, a, there's obviously a long history of white people fundamentally misunderstanding how race operates in, in America and how it always has operated. So, you know, the suspicion is well grounded, and I hope I'm not guilty of that myself.
2: Grand, although I will say big one starting out. I didn't say misunderstanding. I said deceiving. That is a that. one yeah. uh, at the beginning, and the laughter pointed that out for years. Woo. But the main one, I didn't say misunderstanding. Woo. I can only say with great emphasis, and I tweeted this out earlier today. White people anywhere in the world cannot be ignorant about racism if there's any misunderstanding about all of this it is individuals classified as non-white and mistreated on that basis I could be in error there now the definition Uh, this program the cows I use the term racism and the term white supremacy use them as synonyms and I use the same definition for both terms the definition I use is as follows a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate?
3: I think that definition is accurate and I think that system does exist.
2: Wow, okay. No caveats, right on. No
3: no caveats, yeah. We're we're in for a good long discussion, I think, guys.
2: Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh let's see, before uh we get to the reparations task force and if they used West of Slavery and all that good stuff, uh we are is it a week? Let's see. Get my math correct. I guess it'll be a week tomorrow. So we're almost a week out from January sixth. So you were born in the States, even though you teach uh, across the pond, as they say. Uh, I think January 6th captured global attention, certainly given the work that you do. How is that event being discussed where you are, and do you even incorporate that into your teaching?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the shadow of January 6th looms pretty pretty large. Uh, I actually did a number of radio programs here shortly after the day itself, I mean, shortly after January 6th, 2021, um, to explain to UK audiences what was going on. Um, and and how we got to that moment. I, I, so I think a lot of my students, at least, take my classes in part because they want to understand what what's happening currently in American politics. And I teach about the history of American slavery and American racism, and and that's a that's a really good place to start. That's a really good way, I think, to understand our present moment. I don't think I always have the answers for them, um, but I try and contextualize uh, current events with with an understanding of the past.
2: Hmm. Okay. Uh, I guess you don't have to give us the full, you know, lecture, uh, but kind of briefly, how did you contextualize uh, what happened on January 6th of last year?
3: Well, where to start? Uh, I mean, you could start in 1619, but uh, for a lot of these radio programs, I was just trying to explain the the Trump administration and the big lie that January 6th was based on. Um, And I also explained, I think, a good deal of white supremacy that guided at at least quite a few of the people that, that rioted that day.
2: Okay, okay. Fascinating day. We'll have lots of opportunities to revisit that uh, coming programs and what have you. Hopefully, we'll be uh, discussed. I guess uh, since it's been a year out now, have you been able to to touch on accountability uh, in terms of the people who went out there? I mean, you had deaths and trespassing at minimum, and all kinds of things. Have you talked about that at all?
3: No, actually, I, I haven't done any follow ups with uh, with any radio programs, and I just gave the first lecture of the of the term. Yesterday and uh, and contemporary American politics didn't actually come into it. So I, I haven't had the chance to sort of reflect more broadly on January 6th and its anniversary here in the UK. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we're far from being done with that history. Right. Um, we're we're still sort of living in, in a January 6th world. Um, so I'm sure that's not going to be the last time, unfortunately, that I talk about it.
2: Certainly more to come. Uh, the question I enjoy asking all of our white guests uh, there was a report in a major publication a few years back. They were talking about racism, non white author. And he said, quoting him, white people are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough and I've been asking our white guests uh, the first portion of that sentence where he says white people are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism you're a white man you study racism white supremacy and teach about it uh, you've traveled the world uh, just your experience the individuals that you know from what you've studied do you think that a significant number of the people on the planet classified as white are often greatly and sincerely pained
3: by racism. Hmm. That is, it's tough to quantify. So, I mean, I have to concede here that I, as an academic and, you know, progressive leaning intellectual live in a bit of a bubble. Um, and so I think it's probably safe to say that a lot of the people who, who live in that bubble with me, a, a lot of fellow academics, are greatly pained by the history of racism. Beyond that, it, it's much harder for me to, to speak with any degree of authority.
2: I See, that's what I mean about being honest. We've had a number of white people who've come on the program and just the same flat and immediate response that you gave about the definition. We've had a number of white people who have been just as declarative. No. Hmm. Even your response. I appreciate in saying, you know, I cannot. I mean, it would be hard for me to provide evidence and quantify. It would be hard for me to demonstrate some evidence beyond my little, even the word bubble. 'Cause that suggests that this is not widespread, large numbers of white. It doesn't even. The word "bubble" to me, even would suggest that we're not talking about a substantial or significant number of white people. That to me suggests I me mean, most people don't teach at a college. So, I mean that right there talks. We're talking about a rarefied space, and I'm even everybody there. That's classified as white is greatly and sincerely pained. By racism
3: hmm. yeah not, certainly not certainly not everybody even in my bubble
2: just being honest and using logic because there are so many people that like I said that was, this was published in a mainstream report and there was not hooting and hollering like whoa where did you get the evidence to even make a statement like that how did the editors even allow a statement like that to ride that white people sounding like all of them or a great number of them are greatly and sincerely pained by racism. And then you look at the, just look at January 6th. That looks like when white people are greatly pained about something. Bang
5: (laughs) right there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's so hard to make a grand blanket statement about the way white people feel about anything, but that, that seems, that seems not accurate to me.
2: Hmm. I would pull one uh, before I pivot to my my next question. Uh, I think just given racism, white supremacy is a world problem. That might be one that you could make a blanket statement on that. It seems individuals classified as white worldwide dedicated to the practice of white supremacy, racism, George Floyd or Stephen Lawrence. It seems like there would be a lot of evidence. You could make that statement. Is that is that accurate, Dr. Wade?
4: Yeah, you can make
3: that statement. Yep.
2: I don't hear very many people make that statement, though. They'll come and say what I said from uh, white people being greatly and sincerely pained, though. Uh, So you got that born in California. What part of California were you born Uh, outside? L.A. Outside. (sighs) Forgive me. Can I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 35. 35, okay. You were alive during O.J. Simpson, weren't you?
3: I was, I was, I remember it distinctly.
2: Mm, Give me some childhood memories from O.J. Simpson trial.
3: Garcetti, Mr. (laughs) Garcetti. That's so funny. (laughs) Um, I was in gym class when they read out the O.J. verdict, and they they stopped Jim, they brought in a radio, and they read out the verdict. And I remember I I was, how old was I then, 10? I didn't understand any of the issues at play. I didn't understand any of the history. I was alive for Rodney King, but, you know, obviously not really a thinking person by that point. Um, but I remember being an O.J. Simpson fan from movies and sports. And so I got up and cheered when, when he was pronounced not guilty.
2: hilarious, a number of people did even a number of white people. OJ Simpson was a big, especially in California. My goodness, the Trojans, Mm -hmm. the movies, there were lots of white people. Uh, If you go back and dig the archives, lots of white people were cheering from the beginning and some of them cheered all the way to (laughs) like go juice. We knew we didn't do it. Uh, (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I guess if I can get one more OJ question, I guess now as a thinking person and all of your understandings about racism, white supremacy, have you had time to reflect on that case and and come to any thoughts about his guilt or innocence?
3: yeah i I have and and i'll I'll caveat this by saying i I don't know nearly enough about the case to make any um, really authoritative judgments, but um to me, it seems clear why there was such anxiety around the verdict because of the history. Of police violence against black men in Los Angeles, um, and why there was enthusiasm for the not guilty verdict. I, I now think he was, in fact, guilty. But I I know exactly why the sort of the fault lines formed in the way they did in L.A. in the 1990s.
2: Easily one of uh, the favorite books that we've read in our book club. Easily uh, Jeffrey. Tum- <laughs> so funny for so many reasons Jeffrey Tubin, the people verse OJ Simpson I guess the full title is run of his life the people versus OJ but oh, one of my favorite books going through all of the details who do he too thinks OJ is guilty by the way wow. did you know Mark Furman is a high school dropout with a GED no Woo! system of white supremacy uh As a white man who grew up in Southern California, how did you get involved in the research of slavery, the history of white supremacy, racism in California?
3: I had some great I think it all started with school. I had a great teacher in sixth grade named Dr. Farrar. If you're listening, Dr. Uh, respect, um, and Doctor S- Doctor Ferraro got me really interested in, in the history of race in America. He himself is African American, um, and then it just it just grew from there. I I studied more on the history of, of slavery, and I studied the history of the South in uh, in college, um, and then sort of eventually found myself in graduate school doing the history of slavery. But I I felt like I wanted to really research where I was from, um, and to somehow connect the history of slavery to the history of California. I didn't know at the time that there was much of a history of slavery in California. Um, but the more I dug, the more I found uh, and then it eventually resulted uh, in the book that I published last April, West of slavery.
2: Fascinating black professor. That was another question. I was going to ask Black teachers that you've had. So doctor, you said Dr. Ferrar. did I get his name correct? Yeah.
4: Yeah, Dr. Robert
2: Farrar. Wow. And they don't even have black male teachers. That is. Wow. Amazing. Wonder what his story is.
3: Uh, yeah, that's it's a great story. I I can put you in touch. He'd be a great guest. Oh, OK.
2: OK. Much obliged. We You
3: yeah, really, really would
2: put a pin in that one. OK. Uh, Well, you already west of slavery. You already talked about the book and, and researching the history of uh, racism, white supremacy, slavery, that era of it. Uh, specifically, And I guess people not thinking of California as an area of slavery and maybe even to some degree, not even thinking of California as a slavery or a racism area. I think they tend to think of the South or Georgia or Alabama or something like that. Um, I guess we can drill down to start with to kind of changing the way people think about California. I'll pick. Uh, well, no, I won't do it that way. I'll read a little bit. Let's see. This is from West of. Oh yeah, this is a good portion. I have to pick out where to stop here because this is uh, lots of great info. So this is West of Slavery, page, the introduction. Uh, you right. Yet even in the absence of chattel slavery, elements of the continental South you can explain that term uh, survived into the post-war period. California was again a safe haven for Southerners and their allies within the Democratic fold by exploiting white voters anxieties over African-Americans feel like I've heard that before. And Chinese Mm -hmm. immigrants, Western Democrats revived their recently moribund party. California was the only free state that refused to ratify either of the major civil rights enactments of the reconstruction era, the 14th and 15th amendments. Meanwhile, The white vigilantes, some of whom identified as Western members of the Ku Klux Klan, assaulted Chinese workers in a Californian twist on the racial violence sweeping simultaneously across the South. In neighboring New Mexico, landholders challenged the emancipationist agenda of the Republican Party, retaining control over many of their debt peons for decades After the 13th Amendment outlawed slavery and involuntary servitude, the revolt against federal reconstruction, like the like the struggle over slavery that preceded it stretched from one end of the country to the other. Lots of tidbits like that in the book to kind of maybe get folks to rethink California to some degree. Why do you think uh, California is just thought of, is that a great place? Progressive always has been. No racism or slavery there.
3: I, I, I There's so many theories I have about this, one of which is, you know, it does have this reputation for progressive politics today, you know, whether that's well-earned or not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but people read that reputation back in time and assume that it was always like that in California. Um, Another reason why I don't think we really know, and and when I say we, I mean Californians, um, much about the history of slavery in our own state is because it doesn't, it, it really, to my knowledge, hasn't made its way into the school curriculum. I mean, I had great teachers, but we never learned about the history of slavery, or we never really learned about African American history in the West. Maybe that's changing now, and I think the reparations task force could do a really important job in that regard. But, you know, it's got to start young. And if California school kids aren't learning about this history, then chances are most people growing up won't won't really bother to educate themselves.
2: You talk about, uh, in West of Slavery, uh, lots of those portions of California history that are not Uh, as well-known, one of them, uh, Biddy Mason, B-I-D-D-Y Mason. Uh, Who is Biddy Mason? Why is she important?
4: Mm, This is an
3: amazing story. Um, So Biddy Mason was an enslaved woman born in Georgia in 1818, uh, and she was bought and sold a number of times and forcibly transported across the, the continent by the people who owned her. So she was taken first to Mississippi, then she was taken to Utah, Uh, where where Mormons actually legalized uh, slavery. Um, Then she was taken to Southern California in the 1850s, and she worked as a slave in Southern California for about five years, even though California had technically outlawed slavery by the time she arrived. Uh, Then she won her freedom in this really fiercely contested uh, legal battle in Los Angeles in 1856. Uh, She won freedom for herself and 13 others, including her three uh, daughters. Uh then she she actually teamed up with a former slaveholder himself. He was a doctor in Los Angeles and she became the nurse in his medical practice. Uh and just as the population of LA was starting to boom, she became a very successful and wealthy uh nurse and then very successful and wealthy real estate entrepreneur. Um and she bought and developed properties that are now sort of right in the heart of Los Angeles in the financial district downtown. Um, and she died in 1891 is probably the wealthiest black woman in the American West. Um, and she seeded a family fortune that, that really, you know, the, the family continues to thrive um, in, uh, in Southern California today.
2: Hmm. Fascinating. They have a uh, monument to Biddy Mason uh, in Los Angeles behind a parking lot like you should insert laugh track uh for racist gag uh in yeah. terms of why people don't know who biddy mason is and wow she's got all this real estate a black female and a slave that's incredible why don't they have a street named after her or a museum or all of the above and we'll mm-hmm. put a black up and then put a parking lot over it mm-hmm. racism white supremacy uh speaking of tacky so we'll give two uh history of california that is not talked about 1871, Los Angeles, Chinese massacre. You're on the uh, steering committee, uh, for Mayor Garcetti for this one. Uh, what happened here?
3: So in 1871, a mob of about 500, uh, mostly white Angelenos, uh, stormed into the Chinese quarter in Los Angeles and, and massacred, murdered, uh, 19, uh, victims, uh, all Chinese immigrants, one of them, a, a young boy, um, this was at the exact same time that race riots were breaking out in the South. Uh, You know, white rioters killing black people indiscriminately in places like, you know, Memphis and Colfax. Um, And historians often don't draw the connection between the two, but this is an era of race riots. And I think there's reason to sort of study them in conjunction. Anyway, um, uh, that, that riot, that massacre in 1871, in Los Angeles is, 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 Relatively or almost entirely uncommemorated, not for a lack of effort by Chinese Americans in LA, um, but there's just one small plaque to the to the atrocity, and so a number of us are trying to bring greater awareness to this history and trying to to get a memorial built um, to commemorate those nineteen victims.
2: Hopefully, not near any parking garages or decks or anything <laughs> like that. Recycling centers. <laughs>
5: Yeah, you said
2: it, Cass. Uh, on page two thirty four of West of Slavery, uh, you write of this event and the broader uh racial violence in California of the five hundred rioters, only eight were convicted. did we just talk about that lack of accountability? That's what I mean. When you start to look at things in context, there becomes a lot less room for pussyfooting, being silly about all of this. The evidence is overwhelming about what it means to be white through and through the violence Mm -hmm. and you can be violent to the extreme targeting non-white people because you're not going to be punished nobody Mm -hmm. cares kill as many of them Mm -hmm. as you like 10, 12, a dozen, whatever (laughs) you're white that means something 1817, 1871 2021 that means something Mm -hmm. as I was reading uh, collective violence oh I didn't even get that far uh, none would serve a full sentence. Lack of accountability represented by former California attorney general and Mississippi native E.J.C. Kewen, They were released from San Quentin on technicalities. One year later, as in San Francisco in 1867 and in countless cases across the South, the perpetrators of racial violence once again walked free. Rituals of racial violence at the local and national level provided a template for the Los Angeles mob. Long time residents of Los Angeles would likely remember previous episodes of collective violence, the sacking of an Indian rancheria in 1847 or any one of the 37 lynchings, mostly of Mexican men that took place between 1854 and 1870 between lynchings and other forms of homicide, mid-century Los Angeles was one of the most violent places anywhere in America with a murder rate comparable to that of the Mexican border towns at the height of the cartel wars in the early 21st century. That was pretty stunning for me. In short, Angelenos were accustomed to violence and extra-legal redress, January 6th. And when the local court appeared unable to extinguish small scale criminal activity within the city's Chinese community, they saw an opening for mob action that Los Angeles erupted in violence at around the same time that numerous Southern locales, New Orleans, Memphis, Colfax, Louisiana, witnessed their own race riots is not a coincidence to be sure the landscapes of racial violence at opposite ends of the country differed in crucial respects whereas fears of a labor competition drove anti-chinese attacks in the west political concerns were usually behind the violence against african-american voters and their white republican allies in the south furthermore racial violence in the west involved more than a binary struggle between white and black as the joint assault by Hispano and Angelo rioters in Los Angeles attests, nevertheless, a common denominator of deep racial anxiety stirred by the progressive measures of Republican reconstruction undergirded both the anti-Chinese violence of the West and the anti-Black violence of the South. I uh, will pause there. We'll pause there. Uh, Thank you for your patience. Any thoughts you want to share on the section that I just read from West of Slavery?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, let me just say that you reading my book makes it sound way better than it does when I'm, you know, better may not be the right word there, but that makes the text sound way better than it does when I'm reading it in my own head. Um, But on a more serious note, um, yeah, there's, the the 1870s I mean you you draw the parallels to today which you absolutely should um, but the 1870s was a was a moment of sort of national racial violence against non-white people wherever they were perceived to have have made some slight progress um, you know the emancipation of African Americans in the South um, the the success the financial success of some Chinese immigrants in the West Um, this sparked, I would call it an orgy of racial violence in the late 1860s and 1870s. Um, and so I'm, I'm really trying to put these, what's happening in the South and in the West in conversation so we can understand just how national, um, some of these crimes were. Because again, like you said earlier in the show, it's so easy for us just to say, oh, that's a, you know, racism. That's a problem of Mississippi. That's not a problem of California. So I want to connect Mississippi and California. You know, th- this is a national ailment.
2: System of white supremacy, local, national, global. Absolutely. We do pay close attention to words. And uh, you said you, you wanted to say it was like an orgy of violence and picking that word. And that's so interesting uh, because just for a listener, so dictionary definition for orgy a wild party, especially one involving excessive drinking and unrestrained sexual activity. Hmm. Why would you pick the word orgy of violence to
3: describe this, Dr. Waite? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean <laughs> undoubtedly excessive drinking accompanied a lot of this violence. Um but but you know, we can't obviously blame it on that. Um I mean I, I I think that was probably a term that the that the perpetrators would have would have sort of identified with um, as something. I don't know if joyous for them is the right word, but this was a, this was a, a form of release. It wasn't something to be ashamed of. This is something that you know perpetrators would celebrate openly. The violence that they committed against non-white people, be it in the south or the west.
2: fascinating uh are you familiar with the book uh by vincent woodard uh the full title of the book is the delectable negro homoeroticism and human consumption in u.s slave culture are you familiar with that book
3: no i'm not but i probably should be
2: on my top 10 fascinating uh you probably put that with dr tommy curry's book the man not uh, race, class, genre, and the dilemmas of black manhood. He taught, they, or, or he references the delectable Negro, but they both talk about uh, how white supremacy, racism, a lot of it is sexualized violence, especially targeting black males, but in general, sexualized violence mm. uh, frequently, uh, even taking Lynch or yeah, the, uh, the clan, those castrations and what have you like, mm. that's a sexual act. Uh, and, like you said, the drinking and all the rest of it. And I mean, I wouldn't even have to pause and take a case like Abner Lawima. I'm trying to think of some of the others from California specifically, but oh, they had the prison gangs. I think that was in California they had prison gangs where they were making them engage in like gladiator gladiator activity and getting new. That's and, right. And see, yeah. see, white people are not ignorant about racism, but yeah, that was in California. I think that was in like Northern, I want to say San Francisco or maybe I have to go back and check. Anyway, there are lots of examples of sexualized violence. Uh, it's even in Pulp Fiction, your California, the scene where Bing Reigns, uh, where he's sodomized by the white man. Mm. and the enforcer, It's, it's so consistent. You don't even, I think a lot of times we don't think about it. It's just, oh, but there's a sexual component where there seems to be, as you said, some release, uh, where individuals classified as white, this is not something to be guilty about or feel shame. There is joyous, just exaltation in abusing and terrorizing black people. And frequently there's a sexual component to the victimization, the, the castration, what can I call that? But sexualized violence,
3: yeah, that that's a great point. And further to that, often the excuse for this violence was the myth of black of, of black men having sex with white women, of, of black men you know, specifically preying on white women. That was that was almost always the accusation that started these things.
2: Absolutely, uh, if I may, maybe. Oh. I was gonna pull our book club. We're reading Alice Sebold's book, Uh, We're Lucky, uh, where she talks about this black male who raped her while she was a college freshman at Syracuse University. And uh, it turns out the black male who was convicted for this crime served 16 years, registered as a sex offender, exonerated uh, just last month, uh, right before the end of the year, did not commit this crime. And she's in fact, Mm -hmm. she wrote this book. She included a poem in the book where she talks about castrating cutting out the eyeballs, sodomizing with a knife. And I think some other forms of violence that I forgot now rape is horrible. If she was raped, I would have to say at this point, I have so many questions about a white woman who says she was raped where the black male has been exonerated and there are lots of problems in the book. But even if she was, I'm not aware of white people writing poems and being able to speak publicly about castrating a white person. Like I said, I don't hear people talk about castrating Jeffrey Epstein. I don't hear people talk about castrating Harvey Weinstein, Prince Andrew, where you are. Uh, I just don't don't hear that. There are lots of white people who rape, rape children, Jerry Sandusky, lots of white people who've been convicted Mm -hmm. for that. We don't talk about, I'm going to chop off your penis and keep your balls in a jar. And She put that in a book about a black male, a million. (laughs) They were going to make it a movie this year, 2022.
4: They were going to make it a movie.
2: If Mr. Broadwater had not been exonerated, we would have been preparing to watch this movie. I think this year, black male rapist of a white woman. And then I have to wonder now, is this poem going to be in the movie? When they talk (laughs) about chopping off his testicles. Sodomizing him with a knife? We got to watch this on the silver screen for
3: 2022? Sheesh. But you're right, there's no genre of sort of white fantasy castration. Oh. That's a really good point.
2: Widespread in the system of whites of te- To Kill a Mockingbird, Central Park 5, OJ oh, <sighs> Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. context of white supremacy, our guest joining us live from the UK, Dr. Kevin Waite. Uh, so again, all of this is centered, the California reparations task force. They're supposed to be talking about, do you know if they're, are they, did they look at your book West of Slavery or did they, maybe, did you get to talk to them like Zoom or something like that?
3: No, I, I haven't. I've, I've been in touch with some members of the committee, but I'm, I'm not sure to what extent they've, they've used the book or not used the book. I, if they have, I hope they find it useful. If not, they're talking to a whole lot of really, really smart people. Um, Stacey Smith is one of them, in fact, who, who you made contact with. Um, and and they, they just have so much to cover. Um, that quote from Lisa Holder really made that clear. I think the, the major report is due this June, um, and they have so much history
2: to go through me, Lisa Holder. She was quoted in the LA times, um, talking about the task force. Let me read what she said There, we heard her in the audio segment at the beginning for listeners. Uh, so in the times she was quoted as saying, we do not fully evolve as empathetic beings as a community because of racism and injustice. Holder said, So this process of truth and reconciliation is important to everyone. White people, Latinos, black people, Asian people. We are all experiencing trauma because of the levels of anti-blackness in society. So we as a people need a healing and restorative process to become better human beings. That's, uh, LA times, uh, Lisa Holder, she's on the task force. Um, do you think white people are are suffering trauma because of anti-blackness in the world?
3: Well, it sort of goes back to the question you asked me, you know, half hour ago, Gus, uh, I think to be suffering trauma, you have to be aware of it. Um, and I, I gave you sort of an evasive response to that question where I said, I couldn't quantify just how aware and and guilty white people were because, you know, I, I sort of live in a bit of a bubble. Um, so if, if that's the case and, and guilt isn't widespread, then I, I wonder if, uh, if a recognition of that trauma is also not very widespread. Does that make sense?
6: Mm,
2: I think I understand I understand your response. Yes, if if going back to to reference what we talked about earlier, uh, if you can't even say for certain that a widespread number of white people do have some sort of authentic guilt, shame, concern about black people, then how could I even step back and say that they're traumatized or impacted somehow from black suffering? I would just rewind. I wouldn't even go back that far in the conversation. I would just go back to what we just said. Hey, it seems there's a lot of evidence white people brag about and rejoice about abusing black people if that's the case how would they be feeling guilt i generally don't feel celebratory in a sense of jubilee and guilt at the same time for the same act like that doesn't really make sense like it would be one or the other either i'm really mm-hmm. happy and mm-hmm. joyous that we did this or i'm feeling kind of bad like I don't yeah. know. I, it's difficult for me to think of something where I'm exuberant, overjoyed, want to take photos and show off to people that we did this. And then I feel guilty at the same time like that.
0: Hmm.
7: Yeah,
3: yeah, no, that, that's really well said. I wonder if what Lisa Holder also getting at, though, is and, and maybe trauma isn't the right word for it. Um, white people suffer from racism that they themselves perpetuate. So they may not feel guilt, they may not experience any degree of trauma over it, but they they live in a world of their own creating, and that world is worse for racism and white supremacy. Hmm. Worse for them, I specifically.
2: I guess that could be. Um, I had to to check to make certain because uh, I didn't I didn't reach out to Lisa Holder. I was trying to talk to uh, Professor Smith. I knew she was white. Uh, So it seems Lisa Holder is a black female. uh, Victims guaranteed qualified. She can have her opinion about white people, racism, just like I have my opinions. Uh, I think individuals classified as white frequently talk about racism in this manner. And furthermore, they make A lot of non-white people talk about racism in this manner that was the quote that i read before about white people being greatly pained it was a non-white person i think frequently white people will either reward non-white people for saying things like this that give white people a little bit more humanity Mm. that don't make that are not accurate in presenting racism but are more palatable to white people so that we do not see them as irredeemably dedicated to racism white supremacy and enjoying it while they do it that Mm -hmm. picture even though like we said before it seems like there's a lot of evidence where you could say that pretty confidently anywhere in the world what Lisa Holder said I would struggle to find evidence that white people are Trump like where when they're telling racist jokes and laughing about, do you know about the George
3: Floyd challenge I don't know if that's popular in the UK do you know about that No, I, I sort of shudder when you say that, but go on.
2: Okay. Uh, I tweeted it and there a lot, this is not like a one or two, this is like dozens and dozens of posts online where individuals classified as white would go out and mimic the choking death murder of George Floyd. And they've been doing this for a long time. This is a big rage last summer. I don't think you can do that sort of thing. And especially when it's happening, you know, widespread, I don't think you can do that and feel racial trauma about anti-black. It seems like you are just what I said, mocking, enjoying anti-black trauma. That's what it looks like. Um, I could be in error, but I just to emphasize, I've concluded white people need the system of white supremacy to be spoken about in an inaccurate way like this. They need it to be stated so that victims like myself incorrectly think white people feel bad. They're greatly pained about racism. They feel this trauma too. I'm saying there's no evidence for that. (laughs) If you don't have any evidence for it, you should seriously reconsider whether or not you should be saying that. Is this even true? Why am I saying this? Where did I get this from? Those type of questions. Mm -hmm. Did you have a response? Please. If I'm saying things that don't make sense definitely let me know. This is not one of those, you know, we want you to say what I want to hear type of things. We're interested in logic,
3: even when it's. No, you know, no, no. It, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's resonating. Um, and I didn't want to interrupt because it, it was all making sense and, it, and the pieces were falling together nicely. I mean, I, I also sort of wonder about the way when, when white people make sort of declarations of guilt or trauma, just how, sincere they are. Um, are they, you know, are, are they paying lip service to their understanding of white supremacy? Are they asking for some sort of exoneration, like you say, often from black people, you know, that exoneration to them means a lot more. Um, you know, it's it's, hard, it's really hard for me to gauge levels of sincerity, just like it's hard for me to, to quantify um, the, the white experience and white responses to racism, but I'm, I'm skeptical
2: using logic. Uh let's see. Uh if folks have questions, you want to take advantage. We have a guest on from the UK, so you know, ask some questions about how this operates in different parts of the world. Number to dial 720 716 7300 the code 564 943 pound. Press star 61 if you have a question for our guest, Dr. Kevin Waite. Before I check our switchboard, see if we can have folks have any questions, Um, just for our audience, non-white people who might be listening in, uh, just making sure that I have been exact, no confusion, in no way. Do I believe that the problem of global white supremacy racism as a total system? I do not think that that problem is in any way connected to white people being ignorant, unaware, poorly informed about their mistreatment of black people. Again, white people cannot be ignorant about racism, white supremacy. I will play along with this argument just for the sake of argument for a moment, even though woof, really dangerous. Talk about not connected to evidence like, Wow. If that is the case, um, have they, I don't know, have they been talking about like critical race theory across the pond? Is that a thing over where you all are or no?
3: No, it's not really a thing. What we do talk about is decolonizing the curriculum,
6: mm. um,
3: which which I, which I think is closely related. Um, and at least within a lot of history departments in the UK and UK universities, it means sort of broadening our lens. I mean, for a long, long time. Uh, history in the UK was pretty much the Tudors than the Nazis, and you get a little bit of, you know, the history of the British empire, but not at all in a sort of critical or self-aware way. Um, and so, uh, a lot of universities, I think mine included are, are thinking really seriously about the ways we teach the past and about, you know, who, who should be, whose histories get taught, um. And, and fortunately my department has a, has probably a more ecumenical approach to the teaching of history than, than a lot of others. So, you know, it's, it's a struggle. But yeah, and to, to answer your question more briefly, it, it is related to critical race theory, but it's also not as politically charged. Um, it hasn't generated the critique that critical race theory has generated in the U.S.
2: Okay. Okay.
3: Decolonizing
2: the curriculum. Uh, you said it has Mm -hmm. not become as political. Uh, I would take that, or at least I'm interpreting that you can tell me if I'm incorrect. Individuals classified as white, uh, are not brawling in the streets and going to the schools and fighting, uh, and threatening administrators and educators about what their children are learning and what books are in the schools. That sort of thing is not happening over there. Yeah, that's right. Okay.
3: That that sort of thing to my knowledge.
2: Okay. Um, all that sort of thing has been happening here for some time and even beyond where they're reaching out and talking about, uh, there needs to be some sort of, uh, coordinated response to ensure the safety of educators because they've had so many threats, both for masks and critical race theory. They said it's kind of all meshing into one grand gripe, uh, for many white parents. Um, and with here, it's that and laws in place that this is not going to be taught in school, that you, know, you can risk school funding for teaching all of this. If the problem was ignorance, white people don't know about this history. And if they just learn about who Biddy Mason was and what she had to endure. And if they learn about the Chinese massacre in 1871, that, oh, okay, we got to do better. This has been happening for a long time. That's not the response. Uh, and I mean you want to talk about a substantial number of white people that has not been the response it has been the exact opposite and it seems some of them they don't seem like they're totally ignorant about this they just don't want this material taught to their children if it's going to be something suggesting white people have practiced racism white supremacy for a long time against non-white people they do not want that taught they are not interested in that they're not interested in any sort of truthful uh telling about all of this and reconciliation that to me suggests no this is not a problem of ignorance that i go back to that definition that i had dedicated to racism white supremacy um what can you explain to me how this is ignorance this sort of response
3: no i don't think i can i uh, i don't think i can because you're right they um You know, a a lot of people are aware of this history, and they're reacting violently against it. Um, That's the opposite of ignorance. Just trying to follow logic. Uh, Let's
2: see. Let me check the switchboard, make sure I'm not missing folks as we proceed. Uh, Star 6-1, much obliged to the folks who dialed in uh, early. Uh, We'll be back to normal program time tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh let's see, our caller whew, mentioned January sixth, so glad we got them here. Uh caller in Washington, DC, safer days. Did you have a question for Dr. Kevin Wheat?
5: Yes. Um I had a question concerning like the reparations. Um the Like, it's like a two-part question. I was wondering, like, whenever, like, uh, a little bit that I know about, like, racism in terms of history, it seems like whenever um, either white people are saying that they're going to give black people um, something or something correct, um, they always end up harming black people even more. So I was wondering if you've done that kind of research, like, where like, you know, white people are saying, yeah, we're going to do this correctly. And then they end up just harming black people more. And then the clip that was played at the beginning, I guess the lady talked about affirmative action. Um, And I was wondering, like, I guess it's been discussed on here and by the articles where affirmative action, it seems like white women got the benefits of affirmative action. I think they're like almost like the sole beneficiaries of affirmative action. So I was wondering like two portions, like, okay, like what harm could come from this reparations they talk? And then who is actually going to get the benefits of this reparation? Uh, if there's something called reparations.
3: Yeah. Okay. Those are really good questions. So I'll, I'll take the first one about the, sort of um, historical precedence of of white people offering something that at first looks like a good deal and then turns out to be the opposite. I mean, you could argue that the entire Reconstruction era, the entire post-emancipation era, uh, is that history on repeat, right? Um, Laws being passed to ostensibly empower and enfranchise and protect freed African Americans, and then those laws quickly being reversed, not honored um, and you know, racial violence, like you know, Gus and I were discussing earlier during this period, was absolutely endemic um, to, to the United States. Um, and then the, the the reparations question is, I mean, I, I think you both might have a have a better understanding of what's likely to result from the reparations task force. Um, it's been a really, really tough issue to push through anywhere in the United States. I mean, you've got, you've got examples of limited reparations in Evanston, Illinois, and, and to a certain extent Detroit, but to, to pass anything sort of amounting to a financial restitution on a statewide level, who, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, if California voters um, who, who make the final decision, um, we'll get behind that. And do you think I'm being too pessimistic,
2: Gus? Uh, I thought they just tried to recall the governor uh, <laughs> in California. So I don't know. Uh, if anything, I would tell folks to keep that in mind. Now, if the governor is behind this uh, reparations task force, governor Newsom, white man, and they just tried to recall him and then replace him with a black male. No less. Remember that, uh, mm-hmm. they are going to remember that they were upset about how he handled COVID. I just said the COVID see uh critical race theory, all that was coming together. I suspect if it even looks like there might be some reparations, a check and it's for black people specifically. And it's the same governor. We just tried to recall. <laughs> no, I don't think that's, uh, unnecessary skepticism i would say uh recall number two and or keep an eye on whenever the next election is if it mm-hmm. seems like this might be headed to yes we think we should cut the negros of california a check or whatever mm-hmm. it is you know they get a free free tuition to ucla or you know whatever uh we, the uh, the affirmative action that was i guess the other one, unless you had more that you were going to
3: do on this one Oh, oh, yeah. Can can you remind me what the question was on affirmative action? Sorry, I went off too long. If, I, unless I am in
2: error, the Black African, I think his question was uh, in, in the audio segment that we started with. They talked about how affirmative action uh, has been rescinded in California. That would be another reason. Uh, it's one of the few states in the union uh, where affirmative action has been rescinded. And uh, the Black African was saying that, to his knowledge, the affirmative action program the main beneficiaries, if not the primary beneficiaries, have been white women, not black people uh, and he was asking you to speak to that if I got the question correctly mm. black
3: african yeah yeah that that 's right um, yeah, sorry for missing that uh, i mean that wouldn 't surprise me a number there 's also sort of unofficial affirmative action for sort of wealthy white male athletes it 's called the lacrosse team it 's called the the football team the soccer team i mean a lot of these schools are giving out scholarships and giving preferential treatment to athletes um some of whom play sort of overwhelmingly white sports I guess rowing the crew would be a better example swimming would be a better example so i mean if we want to talk about affirmative action we should sort of take a wider you know have a have a bigger definition of it
2: for sure uh i'm just reminded uh the documentary Varsity Blues. Uh, He mentioned white athletes. Uh, He was talking about, uh, might as well say this is another type of affirmative action for white people who were not athletes, were not skilled at all. They weren't even students. Some of them didn't even go to class, and they still got in. USC, UCLA, uh, that documentary he talked about all the white people who just paid to get uh, admitted to Stanford or USC or mostly California schools. Uh, I don't remember a single non-white student. It was all white students, males and females, no patriarchy here, uh, who no talent to speak of. Some of them didn't even seem like they had an academic interest. They just wanted a letter jacket. Hang out on campus and go to the cool parties. (sighs) Bribery Um, is the the ultimate affirmative action. (laughs) Meritocracy, they say. Uh, Did we get your questions, the black African? Yeah, can I
5: ask one last question, yes, sir thank you um i guess i looked at your um your profile i guess um you're the is it Durham university or is it Durham yeah, it's Durham university yep, okay, okay, so that's you okay, so one of your students are are all of your i guess p h d candidate students are they white? They are, yes. Okay. And they're all white men?
3: Uh I have I have one um I have one
5: woman who's part
3: Lebanese, but um the the two I think you probably see on my website, they're both white men.
5: Okay. And they're both um British or UK people or residents? They're in fact American. Okay. But, but your university is Brit is is in the UK. That's correct. Yep. Okay. So, like, one of them, there, I can't remember the title. My it was like something to do, something like anti-abolitionist violence in the, in the antebellum North. Is that? I think that was his. I don't want to uh, uh, dissertation, but it was on his. Like, do you know about that? Is it? Is that yeah, that's correct. That, that's scope? that's his
3: dissertation. Yeah, actually, um, okay. that dissertation goes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead.
5: No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um,
3: has has a lot to do with uh, what we were talking about earlier about uh, mob rule and uh, the orgy of white violence against non whites. Um, I I don't know if that that helps inform the question, but go ahead.
5: Yeah, so I was wondering if the violence is this violence against black people, or just white people fighting other white people? Like, what is the the major theme?
3: This is white people attacking black voters in the north, uh, and attacking those who identified as their white allies.
5: And people were killed? People were, yeah. Okay. Thank you. That, that Those are all my questions. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank
2: you. The Black African, much obliged, sir, with us. Yoga retreat number one way back in Virginia. Uh, the number again, 720-716-7300. The code... Five six four, nine four three pound. Press star six one, if you would like to participate. If you have a question for Doctor Kevin Wait, uh, let's see. Uh, I'll now get in. Oh, 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 he's got me fast on the board. Let's see. Uh, our caller in Wisconsin. Uh, if you had a question for Dr. Kevin Waite. You should be with us, our caller in Wisconsin.
8: Uh, thank you so much, Gus. Hello to the um, your guest there. And uh, my question is, um, since you cannot um, quantify any evidence that's logical of why, uh, of why people suffering or feeling remorse or guilty about practicing racism, um, are you going to, change the way you talk? Are you going to speak more truthfully, more logically about how you talk about racism? And also, have you ever been um, challenged or asked the questions like the questions that Gus asked you by any other uh, non-white people? Thank you.
3: Thank you. Those those were really good questions. Um, I'll, I'll start with the second um, yeah, I, I actually am pretty frequently challenged in a, in a similar manner to, to the way Gus challenged me. I mean, really, really respectfully, really intelligently, um, especially when I speak on the history of Biddy Mason. Um, uh, but have I ever been, you know, questioned in such a thoughtful and sustained manner on the topic of race and racism? No, I don't think I have. Um, and so I have you to thank for that, Gus. Um, then, you know, has what I've learned today will that shape the way that I speak about the history of race and racism in the U.S. and globally? I, I think I think it will. Um, I, I think we have to be I, your your point earlier, Gus, about um, ignorance being a pretty weak excuse, or or actually ignorance not really existing in the way that we think it does. Well, a lot of people think it does. Um, that resonated with me, and I, I think that's a message that I'll want to carry into into some of the public speaking I do. Right on. I
4: I, I hope that that got at your questions, ma'am.
8: Our caller. In... Yeah, that's pretty, oh, pretty much answered it. I just, you know, I just really want to know: Are you just going to really speak more logically and just, you know, truthfully about racism, since you? you know, are doing this particular type of work, because it just makes it, um, you know, more better. I don't know, it makes it better for uh, non-white people to kind of, you know, um, to understand better and to not be as so confused about racism if, you know, white white people would, you know, speak truthfully and more logically about uh, racism. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I agree. And and more honestly, maybe that's, a, that's another descriptor I would add to that
2: much obliged the land of Jeffrey Dahmer. That's another one. I've never heard one person. I'm going to castrate that Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm going to mm. sodomize him at not one And And I get the double on top. Oh. <laughs> Most of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims, you know, who Jeffrey Dahmer was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> How could he not? Most of his victims were black males, non-white males, uh, and in fact, non-white children, child rape even, uh, and cannibalism, all that <laughs> delectable Negro. What did I say before? Orgy of violence. All of it right yeah. there. Jeffrey Dahmer, excellent illustration of white supremacy, racism. But the same thing, I don't hear anyone talk. He's dead now, but I don't hear anyone talk, man, that Jeffrey should have castrated him we should have chopped off his testicles and nobody talks that way. That's reserved for black people, black males specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before I nab our next caller, uh, you in West of slavery, which may or may not be used by the task force. We'll have to see um, you reference Thomas Jefferson and how he had a view of the continental South. uh, This kind of whole, I slave empire extending from the Carolinas or Virginia all the way to San Francisco. Um do you consider former president Thomas Jefferson a rapist or a P I S T rapist?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean if if rape is the, the non consensual non consensual sex with somebody else, then I don't know what other term we could use. I mean, an enslaved person by the very definition of their enslavement cannot give consent.
2: Logic. That's what I mean. Logic immediate man. Talk about resistance. So many white people resistant cannot accept that logic. It's no, and when it gets to Brock Turner, then they can do, Oh yeah. Consent. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson. Wait a minute. Well, we can't say he's a rapist and he would be another one. It would be two for us, not just consent. It would be Sally Hemings was like 14 and he was in his thirties and she was his half sister. Like this is not plantation romance. This is not love conquers all. This is cha- Same thing I just said with Jeffrey Dahmer, that would be the way that we start talking about Thomas Jefferson. Like let's get out of here with, and I'm a university of Virginia graduate Monticello and all. That would be the way that we talk about Thomas Jefferson, just doing logic. This is not emotional. This is 35 year old and a 14 year old. That's Jeffrey Epstein, rapist, racist, just following logic.
3: Yep. You would, uh, if I had a dollar for every uh, piece of hate mail I got from a Thomas Jefferson defender or a neo-Confederate, I'd be a rich man. That is a very active, uh, active group of, uh, of maybe I should call them correspondence.
2: (laughs) That would be another illustration I will point out. Greatly pained. I know what it looks like when white people are greatly pained. Uh, And because I've heard this before, I don't know if you know the scholarship of uh, Robert Jensen. Uh, He wrote the heart of whiteness. He's at the university of Texas, uh, Austin. Yeah. Oh, I thought so. Not ignorant about racism. See, but he has a whole section in his book uh, about Thomas Jefferson. Same thing. Immediate logic. It's no emotion. Just Sally Hemings couldn't consent. It's right. What else can you call it? Rape. Moving on. And he said the exact same thing. The vitriol, the hatred. And he said it's visceral that he gets when he, when he makes it. And he's not up jumping up and down and like stomping on Thomas Jefferson t-shirts and saying, take him off Mount Rushmore. None of that. Just, you know, let same thing I've been saying all day today. Logical. Let's be accurate about this. This is not emotion. I'm not out here saying, let's go get rotten fruit and throw it at, you know, pictures of Tom- just be And there would be a lot of Thomas Jefferson's. This is not a one person. That, nah, nah, nah. White people get upset, can't handle it. That would be another one where I point out, this is not ignorance, dedication to racism, white supremacy, and where are the feminists at? why aren't white feminists leading the charge? Like, hey, he's raping children. What in the world?
3: I don't hear that either. Ah, yeah, that's- good point. I mean, you want to talk about not quantifiable is the number of Thomas Jefferson's there were in the American South. The, the number of Sally Hemings there were in the American South. I mean, we we have no way we can only sort of speculate about just how rampant it was. And it was universal.
2: Absolutely. And just because I did mention those two books, and that's a big point of those two books, I mentioned uh, the delectable Negro and the man not Thomas Jefferson. And just because I don't have an actual counterpart from that time period, Tina Jefferson's white females who were doing this because that gets removed from history. uh, And the white men who were abusing male slaves. Cause that also gets a um, you talk about having a uh, heteronormative perspective. That also gets obscured mm-hmm. that a lot of these racist plantation owners were also sexually abusing a uh, Jeffrey Dahmer that I just said, that's not a one time thing that's been going on for a long time mm-hmm. and that just gets whitewashed and we just get a very heteronormative that it was white men raping black female slaves, which is true. But a lot of this was white men and white women raping children, males and females. Uh, let's see our caller two, two, six, two, 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 six, two. Did you have a question for author, professor, Dr. Kevin wait, two, two, six, two. You should be with us.
5: Hello. Um, thank you guys for taking my call.
2: Yes, sir. If you I'm could speak up clear. or maybe get closer to your microphone, that would be spectacular.
7: <clears throat> How about now? Better. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, Dr. Wait, When you first came on a program Gus asked you about the January 6th Insurrection I'm sorry And you used uh, a phrase called The shadow of January 6th
3: What did you mean by that? Oh by that I meant the ongoing Attempts to restrict Mostly people of color from the polls To you know in the service Of this lie that the Election and 2020 was rigged against Donald Trump.
7: Okay. Uh, My next question is, um, you also said that you live in a bubble. Um, My question is, do you think it will be logical for all non-white black people or non-white people in general to look at all white people as suspected racists until proven different?
4: Hmm.
3: That's probably not an unreasonable position. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it goes back to this uh, discussion that Gus and I were having about the the sincerity of you know call it what you will white white guilt white trauma. Um, and I think there's, I think there's a a pretty serious reason to to doubt that sincerity. Um, I don't know if that helps, but yeah.
6: Okay. Thank you for your response. And thank you guys for taking my call. I will mute my line.
2: Much obliged, much obliged, sir. Not that this is the grammar hour. I do just point out, uh, double negatives, mostly because I see lots of double negatives or I read them or I'll hear them uh, at points like that when it'll be a white person writing or responding to a question like that where he said, is it reasonable to suspect that every individual classified as white is a suspected racist until proven otherwise? The double negative will come in not unreasonable to think that way, the way he responded as opposed to just, yes, that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. It'll be stated in a way where that's not unreasonable, where they will say most folks when they have editors, you're a published author, where they will say, hey, you got a double negative here. That's kind of confusing. We want to be clear. Just that's reasonable. That's better than not unreasonable. We were talking about that <laughs> earlier, being clearer to so reduce confusion. I'm just pointing that out as an additional pattern where I see that, where I interpret that as white people being uncomfortable with that bit of logic, even though they are saying the correct thing, I just process it as there's some discomfort with that bit of truth logic. And because I've seen it so consistently from white people where they have those sort of double negatives with those sort of responses, just something to be mindful about, not the grammar hour.
4: Um, (laughs) That's a totally fair critique. Let's see. And
2: the word fair, uh, let's see color. Oh, we got callers in California. How about that? Uh, da, da, da. Let's see. Caller 5640-5640. Do you have a question for Dr. Kevin Waite?
6: Hi, and Welcome to the guest, Dr. Waite. Um, Thank my you. My first question is, oh, oh, you're welcome. I wanted to ask what inspired your interest in studying uh, slavery?
3: Yeah, that is. That is a question- that is a question with a very long answer, but I'll try and be brief um I think it started well it 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 did start in in dr Ferrar's class, who I mentioned earlier um when I was just i was like twelve or thirteen um but then i'd say i was i was really interested in the civil war as a child, but I didn't understand. The politics of the war. I was interested in the military history, and then only when I started reading more about that war and the causes behind it did I become really interested in the history of slavery. So I think I think it started as a sort of a, an early teenager as just a, a Civil War buff and somebody who was really inspired by a particular teacher, and then then I dug deeper. And once you dig, I'm sure you know that. It's, it, there's an inexhaustible amount of material um, and, and right. so much
8: more to learn.
6: Hmm. And then my last question is, um, in you, when you were studying for your Ph.D. or just throughout your schooling or, or later schooling, did you visit uh, some of the uh, plantations in the South, like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana? Did you visit any, any any of those places or similar uh, places?
3: Yeah, I did visit a couple of plantations, and it's always really interesting, and, and maybe you've had experiences too, um, and you can tell me more, but it's always really interesting to see how they present that history. Um, there are some plantations that are um, that are sensitive to that history um, and and do their best to explain that um, these weren't, quote, servants' quarters. Uh, but then there are other plantations that are still sort of living in a gone-with-the-wind, um, gauzy romance about the plantation south where, you know, all slaves are happy and all uh, white slaveholders are, are virtuous, um, yeah, I, I don't. Have Have you been to to certain plantations that tell that story?
6: Uh, not yet, actually. I have been to the Deep South, and I've been I've visited some uh, some African or Black American memorials that um, that you know have to do with slavery. But I, I do plan to uh, visit plantations because I know it is a part of uh, American and Black American history. So.
3: Yeah, and it's really interesting to see how they present that history or obscure that history.
6: Right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Waite. Thank you, Gus.
3: Yeah, thank you. For sure,
2: for sure. I'm reminded uh, we talked about Hurricane Katrina and the levee failure uh, in New Orleans, the book Katrina after the flood, by Gary Rivlin, white man, uh, he wrote for the or he was writing for the New York Times at the time Katrina happened, uh, and then he wrote his book. Uh, but he begins the book talking about going down to Louisiana, and because of the hurricane, the all the flooding and everything, it was difficult to find hotels. A lot of the folks who had to evacuate were in hotels and what have you. And he said that they ended up staying on a slave plantation right outside of New Orleans. Uh, where people would sometimes go and do weddings and whatever else you do, but <laughs> comment, talk about connections and putting things in context, yeah. like wow for that event, and we're here staying on a slave plantation, like and the fact that the slave plantation apparently survived the storm. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Our caller, I think one of our folks in California. uh, Caller two eight two four. Do you have a question for Dr. Wait 2824? See, be in Santa Rosa, are you there? Did you have a question? Be in Santa Rosa?
4: Oh, hello. Can I be heard?
2: Yes, we can hear you.
4: Hi, um, good evening. Um, I have a question and it's um uh, why is it so hard? White people to uh, produce reparations. I mean, they can do, they can go to the moon, they can create nuclear bombs, they can play with molecules, but it seems like the only thing they can't do is produce justice and uh, give them reparations. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, my
3: short and my i mean first off that's a really good question, and my short and my sort of cop out answer is i don't have an answer um, there is no satisfying answer um, but I will say historically and, and you don't you don't need to hear this from me um, uh that that's always been a problem right any any suggestion that white Americans, and O is not a good word, uh, any suggestion that white Americans should sort of enlarge the pool of, of citizens or enlarge the pool of eligible voters or enlarge the pool of people who have access to certain opportunities has always met with resistance and sometimes really violent resistance. Um I study that resistance, but I don't think that gives me any any answer. I'm not sure it gives me any any real insight. Mm. So you think it's not in them to produce that? I would say it's not consistent with American history, but I don't want to be so defeatist to suggest that it's it's never going to happen. But just that there's a long record of it not happening, uh, and that doesn't make me particularly
4: optimistic Thank you Thank you
2: Much obliged to be in Santa Rosa. Uh, make sure we didn't miss anybody. Uh, the number again is seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you have a question for dr. wait it's almost 10 o'clock for him so he won't be with us too much longer get your hand up do not wait till the last minute Uh, if you have a question uh, something you would like him to clarify what have you or something's just been sitting in your mind for the time that you've been listening to the cows uh, this afternoon I guess for folks who are listening in the states we've been talking about California uh, and whether or not they'll be open for reparations. I guess I would encourage folks to kind of keep an open mind. Like California is regarded as being like super liberal, super progressive, not, you know, Florida, Ron DeSantis land and Alabama and Texas and some of these other places. Like if there's any place they got uh, cannabis is legal in California and has been for a few years now. If any place if you think has a chance for reparations, at least at a local level, I would think this would be it. If they can't do it in California, like. Whew. And again, they just tried to recall the governor rescinded affirmative action in California. I think only eight states out of 50 have rescinded affirmative action. So there's your optimism, I reckon. uh We talked about California. I guess where you are in the UK, they have been talking about reparations there as well. Uh, You were talking about decolonizing the curriculum. Uh, Folks in the Caribbean or what have you have been having the same discussion. Do you see any evidence that white people in England are serious and a substantial number of them? Like, yes, we should have some sort of reparations. We we owe something to Jamaica and, and some of the other black people that we've mauled over the years in
3: the colonies. Mm, yeah i mean from what i understand of the of the conversation so far it looks i'd I'd say sorry gus can you hear me yes yes sir okay my line just went sort of quiet for a little while um so I would say that the conversation in the UK sort of feels like it's at the same place that it is in California. I mean, there's there's serious discussion of reparations, but whether serious discussion will translate into into action and into sort of real restitution, you color me a little bit skeptical. Um, I mean, you you probably know this, Gus, but um upon the emancipation of great britain's enslaved people in the mid 1830s it was the it was the slaveholders that got compensation they were paid um when the people they defined as property were freed and it was a, i i don't have to figure at my fingertips but it was an, an enormous amount of money
2: i think they called that uh, fair compensation using that word deliberately this time. But I think that was widespread. I think uh, the French got compensated for Haiti and even the white yep. plantation owners here got some form of, of restitution, like a uh, <sighs> commitment to white yeah. supremacy, racism. What can you say? I was even gonna say that when the, the caller dialed in before and was asking about, uh, do white people not just don't have the ability to enact, to produce reparations. I was going to say it should be added for black people because they've shown that they can do reparations. They've done it for other white people. They've done it for other mm-hmm. non-white people, just not black people.
0: Mm. Uh,
2: at least Evansville will see it even for that. When I said, man, uh, reparations, how about any black person with any connections to Evanston, Illinois at any time you can go to Northwestern for free that would be reparations like phew, books, room and board, get a PhD, get five of them, whatever. <laughs> like talk about changing your life. Like, Hey, I got a Now I'm a doctor in social sciences at Northwestern and I'm doing great things. I'm traveling the world, teaching and me and Dr. Wade are doing a conference on racism in the States. Uh, it'll be in France next. I mean, that is, that sounds like more corrective activity, but that's not what they did. And, Evanston, I don't think.
3: No, it's a, no, it's not.
2: Uh, let's see. Uh, did, did we miss any of the folks? Making sure on the switchboard, board, anybody? Other other folks have a question they want to make sure they got in with Doctor Waite? Thought I'd heard well,
6: May I ask one more question?
2: Yes, okay. ma'am. Make sure we don't miss anyone. Get your question in, ma'am.
6: Oh, yeah. I wanted to also ask Doctor Wait in reference to American slavery. Has Dr. Wait, have you read the 1619 Project book um, by Nicole, the journalist Nicole Hannah Jones? Um, and if so, what's your what are your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah, I actually haven't. I haven't read the full book. I've I've read a lot of the essays that um, that first appeared in the New York Times and that were adapted for the book. And you know, I, I think it's doing important work. Um, I don't know. It it brings me back once again to the, another thread that. Um, in in my conversation with Gus earlier, uh, is is awareness enough? You know, is, is that going to make a meaningful change? I mean, that that's a really sad thing for a historian to say because my career is built around an effort to create greater awareness. Um, but I uh, I don't know I don't know. It it really remains to be seen what the broader impact of the sixteen nineteen project will be. Aside from just the political firestorm that it's kicked up.
6: Thank
3: you. Yeah, thank you.
2: Nicole Hannah-Jones does have a white parent. I think that's important. Uh, I think she's a victim of white supremacy, endured a lot of mistreatment for her work on racism, white supremacy, even some of her work on Michael Brown Jr. and his failing school system, which is also evidence of white supremacy race. Oh, they got so flagrant there. Some of the work that she did talking about the white parents who were very flagrant about how they did not want black students like Michael Brown, Jr. in class with their white Missourian children. Anywho, uh, I do think the response to all of this would be different and worse if it was a black person, male or female, who had more melanin, two black parents, four black grandparents, I could be in error. Uh, Did you know Nicole Hannah-Jones had a white parent?
3: No, I didn't. Okay.
2: Uh, did we miss anybody else? Any other callers? Uh, folks had a question. They wanted to get into Dr. Wait. think we got everybody. We got everybody. Spectacular. Make sure I did not missing my other UK questions the task force in California they because they have so much time uh, it looks like they can get lots of resources and, and what have you they're allowing community members to speak um, they said that it may I guess everything is on the table we heard from Lisa Holder it could be a cash payment uh, it could be redistribution of land they did some of that uh, earlier with one of the beachers uh, beaches sorry Uh, in california that was returned to a black family uh they said it could it could look lots of of different ways uh if it was not a cash payment but kind of like what i was saying like hey all the black people in california pick a school ucla usc wherever stanford pick a school free tuition just what i said you could do that um you get vouchers you get housing wherever you want to so you don't have to as long as you have a house or property whatever in california (laughs) We got the bill. We'll put that in place until this problem is. If it was something like that, as opposed to we're just bam, every black person in California gets a check. Do you think that would, would change any of the metrics, any of the mathematics for white people? Or do you think they would still like do what foot the bill for these black people to go to UC? Do you think it would still be that same
3: level of massive resistance? yeah I think so. I think so i mean i I think your proposal is a really good one if if we want to talk about meaningful change. I think they should put you on a reparations task force somewhere but um i I don't know if that would have any greater chance of passing a a, a, a largely white electorate hmm
2: I'm a big one for the school when I've heard a few different ways of doing reparations beyond just like a cash payment or stimulus. I'd heard something like that, like the stimulus checks that they did like doing something like that just for black people for, I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but something like that if they didn't do cash and they did a school program or something like that, I could say like, Oh yeah, but like (laughs) undergirding all of this is they just recalled the governor. They rescinded affirmative action. We're celebrating the anniversary of January 6th. President Trump might run again in 2024. None of this would give me reason to think. A, just like the question that I asked, a significant number, not one or three, but a significant number of white people. Yes, we're sorry about how we've treated the Negro. Let's do the repairs. I just cannot imagine that in any Universe. If they were going to do that, then they should just say, Hey, we'll just stop practicing racism. I don't see any evidence of that at all. <sighs> uh, we got all of our folks in. I think we touched all the bases. Uh, are you doing a book? Is that what you're supposed to be working on? Biddy Mason before we get you out of here? Are you doing a project? Is that the next book? Bitty?
3: Yeah. Bitty yeah. That, that's the next one.
2: Okay. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye out for that one. I will read because I didn't know anything about her until like a few weeks ago. So more information on her uh, amazing land, the real estate mogul of uh, that nineteenth century California. Like my goodness, yes, I would like to get more details. So we'll be on the lookout for that one. Be in Santa Rosa. Did uh, did you have a question for Doctor Wait?
4: I do. I do. Um, what do you think of uh, them making black people a protected class as? Uh, reparations as a part of reparations
3: yeah can you, can you say more about because I've heard that floated but I don't know what that that would look
4: like can, well, can I, you tell me a little bit uh, more protected class like the Indians like how the Indians you know in order for, for, uh, for like an Indian to be arrested um, they have to send I think like a federal agent they just can't be harassed by local law enforcement so you have to have like a warrant to, to even you know scoffing and, and mess with. Him.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I I haven't thought that much about that possibility. I I'm convinced so far that that Gus's proposal about free um, and easily accessible education might be the best way
4: forward. But I'm I'm very open to persuasion. Mm. So uh, keeping race soldiers off our back. Wouldn't help. You don't think that that won't do? Anything. Sorry, I, I
3: I just missed that last part of the question. Mind saying that again?
4: Like racist police officers, because not all police are uh, are racist, but you don't think that'll help us? Oh, that's undoubtedly an enormous problem. I'm
3: um, I'm I don't know enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about what a protected class status would would provide but you know it that that may be a silver bullet could be absolutely right okay
4: thank you
3: yeah thank you
2: much obliged be in Santa Rosa Uh, now I think we nabbed all the folks who uh, dialed in with questions Uh, we have been chatting it up again so this was courtesy of uh, Dr. Stacy Smith, Oregon State University, right down the road from Gus, uh, who said, hey, I can't really chat right now. Task force is still working hard, but chat it up. Dr. Kevin Waite, contact him. He should be a good person to speak to uh, in the interim. Uh, so we talked about uh, a little bit about the book, uh, West of Slavery, History of Racism, White Supremacy in California. Uh, we'll be on the lookout for the new project on uh, Biddy Mason, uh, and I guess the the mayor's current uh, steering committee uh, about the monument for the 1871 Chinese massacre. Again, the masters of anti-Asian violence are classified as white Vietnam to 1871 massacre. Uh, Much obliged. uh, Dr. Waite has been a hoot uh, chatting it up with you again. We'll be on the lookout for the book and we'll definitely keep an eye on the reparations task force in California, sir. Thank you so much for, for chatting with us for you. I guess your Wednesday evening.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, Gus. Um, really enjoyed that. Lots of good connections. Lots of good books to add to my reading list, too. Oh, the Delectable Negro is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Vincent that's the Woodard. top of the list
2: Amazing work he's passed on now, but wow, did he leave us a treasure. Vincent Woodard, The Delectable Negro, human consumption and homoeroticism in U S slave culture from the cows book club. But, uh, that is not the book we talked about today. Maybe (laughs) a little bit, uh, but much obliged, Dr. Waite. Uh, we will definitely stay in touch. Uh, keep up the great work. And uh, again, we'll have our eyes on California, see what they come up with. Thank you, sir. For sure. Enjoy your evening and we'll talk.
3: All right. Bye. Evening, evening.
2: Uh, that was Dr. Kevin Waite uh, live from the UK. Again, our normal broadcast time is 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. This was early because other side of the world trying to make it work with the schedules and what have you. Uh, we'll take a quick pause and then we'll see if folks have any thoughts uh, from what they heard. Uh, if you have any California folks uh, excited, think there might be some reparations coming their way, uh, feel free to share as well. Uh, so quick break and then we'll be right back context of white supremacy.
7: And from the late 1960s, after the death of Martin Luther King and the riots and the upheavals and all like this, and black people with their fists in there air and all like that, and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focus, the white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action, and that is... I'm going to have these people so confused, they don't even know what they started out to do. And by the late 1970s, they had just about completed it. And we've been on that ever since. And you mentioned something very important. They are more comfortable than ever. But see, it's like making gorillas comfortable in a cage, or monkeys, or pandas. You still got them in a cage. And from the late 1960s, after the death of Martin Luther King and the riots and the upheavals and all like this, and black people with their fists in there and all like that, and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focused, the white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action. And that is, I'm going to have these people so confused, they don't even know what they started out to do. And by the late 1970s, they had just about completed it. And we've been on that ever since. And you mentioned something very important. They are more comfortable than ever. But see, it's like making gorillas comfortable in a cage. Or monkeys. Or pandas. You still got them in a cage. But they are comfortable. See, so give them some bling bling. It's like giving an animal a brand new car and training the animal to ride up and down the street in it and then you stand back and point at the animal like one white man said in the late 1950s he said he doesn't care what kind of car a negro has he said he's still a nigger and when he rides by in a shiny car to him it's just a monkey in a car. White people built a car for the animal. A brand new car. And training the animal to ride right up and down the street in it. And then you stand back and point at the animal. Like one white man said in the late 1950s, he said he doesn't care what kind of car a Negro has. he said he's still a nigger and when he rides by in a shiny car to him it's just a monkey in a car white people built a car put a monkey in it trained the monkey to drive the car so now you're looking at a monkey in a car see but black people don't see themselves that way but this is how the white supremacists see us and they are the ones who run our business And we have to know that, that when they look at us, that's what they see, that that's what they see, that that's what they see. And at a subliminal level, what they see begins to spill over into our brains so that we, at a subliminal level, see each other that way and indirectly see ourselves that way
2: context of white supremacy white guests only cannot emphasize that enough it's been that way for two years probably should have been that way way longer Uh, and just for the reason that I right there today when I read we had the audio clip we started off Lisa Holder victim of white supremacy black female Victims guaranteed qualified. She can have whatever ju- uh, view about racism that she wants. She's a member of the Equal Justice Society, very credentialed, all kinds of awards, degrees, credentials. She's probably way more light years more intelligent than gusty renegade. All of that said, white people are not victims of racism. I read uh, Dr. Wait her comment. Uh, which she was quoted in the LA times and saying that white people experience trauma because of the levels of anti-blackness. That's not true. I could be in error. I'm saying unequivocally, that's not true. That's the same, uh, nonsense, illogic as saying that white people are also victims of racism. Tim wise and some of these other folks say that nonsense, all of that is leading you astray deliberately. So, victims that's why I asked that question and have for years about white people being greatly pained non-white people we are trained sometimes we are ordered directed to write and say things like that and some of us are just outright confused sometimes we get rewarded get an extra loaf of cornbread if you say that write it, act like you really believe it We give you two pieces of cornbread end of the day none of it is accurate none of it's true and the cows, I don't think it is the best investment of time and energy to argue with other victims of racism, especially about reparations and all that, when you can speak to individuals classified as white and use logic when you speak with them. I think that's how you get better at even the use of words, which I heard today. Caller came. What did you mean, the shadow of January six? Because that's in the word, guy, that shadow metaphors of white supremacy but just that i would much rather do that and us get better at questioning white people and listening to the responses that white people give do they answer your question as opposed to someone who is confused about racism and or maybe they're scared of being logical about racism maybe they're even being compensated to not speak accurately logically about white supremacy racism if they're a victim of racism vgq keep it moving let's focus on the problem let's see any of the folks with us have comments what they heard from uh dr kevin wait uh let's see Folks who are with us, everybody I think that's with us got a question in. So uh, being Santa Rosa, the Black African, our caller in D.C., caller in Milwaukee. uh, Any thoughts, assessments from uh, what folks heard from Dr. Kevin Waite this afternoon, early on a Wednesday? Might be still thinking about it. Take your time and process. I'll uh, check back over my notes here to see.
7: Uh, guys, sorry.
2: Can
5: can I share something?
2: The black African. Yes, sir.
5: Thank you. Sorry, I'm in a I'm in a vehicle. Hopefully, it's not too noisy. But I was just gonna say, I thought, I mean, it was it was a good program um, overall. But I think he... I don't know if he had... I have a feeling that he had, like, a lot more information. Like, I feel like... I mean, I know even the white people are not going to share all the information, but I've, it was as if he had a lot more information. I think he's, he's one of the guests that used the least amount of words, or, like, white guests, because usually it's, like, buckets and buckets of words, and then you catch something here and there, but he used like the least amount of words um, that I've heard on the cause in a while from my person. Yeah. Thank you.
2: I think that is true. Uh, he was not as, um, didn't do as much of the pussy footing. Uh, there was definitely some, but yes, in terms of word count, I think he, he was much more efficient. Uh, in answering questions and he certainly did not have in terms of duration he wasn't talking uh, for as long with most of his uh, responses and uh, very I mean well he didn't know about delectable Negro but other than that one um, he seemed very knowledgeable all the you know reference points and, and other instances and things that we were referencing even the, the gladiator prison inc- prison incident he seemed like he was knowledgeable about that so not ignorant uh, about racism white supremacy i'm sure he had lots of other details uh that he could have shared, and globally too once you can travel and be teaching globally like oh yeah you're gonna have access to all kinds of um, details about how this plantation works uh let's see any other folks observations thoughts
4: yeah can i be eric
2: Let's see, uh, be in Santa Rosa. Yes, sir.
4: Yeah, I, I thought he was going to get more into like something I didn't know about California when it comes to like slavery, but I, I did not think he touched on anything that I didn't know. And I was a little
6: disappointed.
2: I don't know what details uh you'll have in the Biddy Mason project. I know the West West of Slavery, that one has uh, details on the abuse of Chinese people and the slave sympathies that a lot of the white people in California had. We read a little bit about the violent activities that they had, mob activity in Los Angeles specifically. Um, Yeah, I think he has some of that information in the book. Was it specific, like specific era, like more of the like
4: slavery? Um, yeah, more like slavery and more about black people than, you know, Asians and Mexicans. I thought he was going to dive more into black people, but, you know, usually, you know, they dive into other people instead of us. That's what I'm used to in California, actually.
2: I see. Well, that is in the book, the black people there, but also yeah. abuse of other non-white people but I mean that is the population like that you know I don't know how you would be able to talk about California with with leaving I mean all of that is racism white supremacy too right you're just saying that you wanted to hear more of a focus on the black portion of all that right
4: exactly
2: got it got it understood understood I just look at all of that as white supremacy racism uh and just picking up like, oh, wow, lynching, gang lynchings of all kinds of non-white people, Mexicans, Asians, black people, all the rest of it. And they didn't have as many black people. I think that's also why California's is a, a little different in terms of the demographics of the victims. But, I mean, basically the same thing, lynchings and all the rest of it. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Mm, 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 mm. They're... I did not check out Stacy Smith's work, but she also, she's a white woman. She's a, a historian. She's on the task force, uh, the California task force. Uh, I did not check out her works. So I don't know. She might have more uh, of the focus on black people specifically in California. Uh, I would have to double check to see, but Stacey Smith is uh, her name uh, to see if, you know, if they do more of that. Um, as a former California resident, I guess I should be aware, uh, of books that, that have a lot of information about the history of black people in California. Uh, I know some of that is in the warmth of other sons, but that's not like California specific. Um, there should be several. I mean, that's, I mean, the black Panther party started in California and OJ sent like, you know, it's a rich history of California. trying. I mean, black people trying to. Oh. Dis- yeah.
4: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it just popped in my head. I should ask some questions about Coin Cell Pro and, and what they were doing in California to see if he can dive more into that from a white perspective.
2: I'm sure he's not ignorant. Long, uh, long history. You know, can walk from Biddy Mason all the way to, like I said, Black Panther Party and O.J. Simpson and Rodney King. He brought up all of all of the rest of it. Um, and i think they're bringing all that up in the task force unless i'm confused most of the articles that have talked about that they do uh bring in you know the real estate aspect of it and stealing property from black people and clan violence and blah 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 and all that Uh, and the task force is focused on black people like exclusively i think so yeah the Stacey smith i will have to check out to see if she if her work focuses more on black people and or just other books, period, because that probably would be really important to have um, for people, especially people that live in California, have family in California, like the history of black people in this area and uh, all of the abuse. Because it was that was a big part of it. Like so many black people thinking that California is better. California is not Mississippi. California is not Georgia. And that is not true at all. In fact, I lived not in sure, uh I lived in San Leandro, which is like uh Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, uh Berkeley. Uh they nicknamed the area so it's San S A N Leandro, two words. It was nicknamed Clan Leandro. And just for geography, San Leandro is like you can walk from San Leandro to Oakland, like literally. It's uh I mean It's indistinguishable at times when you've crossed the boundary. It's that close. So, I mean, the Black Panther Party is right there. That's where they're founded at. Clan <laughs> Leandro, you can walk from Oakland over into the clan area where there are not lots of white people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, long to like, there should be lots of books that go into all of that history and you know all the rest of it black people going out there thinking that oh yes it's great because I was in warmth of other sons black people going out to California and thinking yes no more Jim Crow it'll be great and then yeah, remember Nat King Cole they uh, killed his dog and burned nigger mm-hmm. in the yard now he's in LA I don't even know how you do compensation for that What what is the reparations bill for burning nigger into my front lawn and killing my dog folks can ponder on that one tally a bill if you have time Nat king cole was rich so i mean whatever that means rich at least he had a few nickels uh any other thoughts folks wanted to uh if you find any books history of black people specifically being abused in california let us know because I can't. That's all the books that we've read. I can't really think of anything that's like a good history of uh, black people in California and like LA alone. I'm sure they have to have books on the history of black people in LA. Like, man,
4: oh, yeah, man, it's, it's really refined out here, especially in Santa
7: Rosa. Yep,
2: yep, yep, yep. I was even thinking, uh. I guess the movie Fruitvale Station is a part of that as well. Oscar Grant and all the rest of it. Very, uh, I was going to say rich, but that's probably not the correct word. Uh, Tragic history. Uh, The experience of Negro abuse in the state of California. Uh, 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 uh. Any other commentary folks wanted to make sure they got in? let folks marinate on it a bit I will say from the very beginning um, he went with the normal rhetoric about white people being confused or perhaps misunderstanding at some level white supremacy racism Uh, and I think I was pretty emphatic here today as I have been all the other programs that that is not uh, the problem at all it's not even close in terms of white people being ignorant poorly informed unaware any other you know synonyms you want to add on i think he would have continued with that if he had been talking to other non-white people uh because most victims we will normally go right down with that yep black people are the experts on racism and white people are just dumb and ignorant about all this and yeah i mean it would have been i think it would have been a very different conversation if we continue with that from the beginning that white people are ignorant and this is all just, they don't have the information and that's not what it is at all. Uh, and I would even point out as well, that portion where he said orgy because he put some thought, he put some choice in his word selection and orgy was the word that he came up with. He has a, this is a white man with a doctorate. I don't think he's ignorant about racism and teaching in the UK. He's probably very well informed. Uh, I'm sure he picked that word because he knows he's not ignorant about racism and he's not ignorant about the word orgy and the sexual connotation with that word so (laughs) that was one I think important white people are not ignorant about racism and uh, I think they are very aware uh, of the sexual violence that is a mandatory aspect of white supremacy racism sexual violence that is often targeting black males uh let's see anything else Notes I want to get out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson is a rapist uh That would be an immediate part of the conversation just to make sure that we do not drift off into some sort of he and Sally Hemings had a romance of some sort, 14-year-old and a 30-year-old, and that's widespread. I at least appreciated him being direct about that. I have to think about Dr. Farrar. That was the black male teacher who he said had a big impact on him. Um, At least hearing his story, I have to think on that one. Uh, It might be worthwhile to chat with him. I'll think about it. Uh, much obliged to the black African because I totally had that written down from the opening intro where they talked about affirmative action being rescinded in California and exactly the people who benefited most have been white oh, I was so glad that you uh, were able to ask that question that's one where I suspect he does know the people who benefited most have been white uh, but he said he was not Not aware on that one. Uh, uh, Let's see. Anything else?
5: Make sure I get in. Mm -mm -mm -mm
2: -mm. Oh, that was the one I did forget. I did want to ask him if he's faced any mistreatment from his white colleagues or anyone for this work and talking about racism, but forgot that one. He's in the UK. So it might be a little different. just that's not his native soil, so to speak. They could just say, you know, he's wacky American, whatever. But uh, yeah, I'll have to mirror a little bit some of the responses and what have you. Uh, see if anything else comes to mind. But the laughter, white people being ignorant, and orgy, orgy, particularly the book we're going back to tomorrow with Lucky, orgy, orgy, racism, white supremacy, an orgy of. But that's how he phrased it, orgy of violence. Much of the mistreatment of black people is sexualized. White people even getting some sort of sexual gratification from mistreating black people even if the abuse is not sexual directly in and of itself. Keep that in mind as we ride into Alice Siebold's Lucky for Tomorrow super freaking especially where we left off at her snorting she didn't even specify what she was snorting she just said snorting and drinking underage and fornicating with a white man that'll be tomorrow normal time 8pm eastern 5pm pacific Uh, everybody good nothing else they need to get in for today Much obliged. Uh hope the folks uh, think the black African, said he was driving. Hope you are safe on the road. Uh, talk about that, driving and, and being on the cell phone, so drive safely. Hope you're hands-free and all the rest. Uh, the Book Club tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Alice Sebold-Lucky, session number five. Whew. So excited. The hair fibers, we had that last week, get to get some of that in. Uh, As well, and uh, just paying attention. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, We'll get more into the identification uh, and the role of the white attorneys, uh, judicial system, uh, that they all work together with this white woman uh, to steal 16 years from Mr. Wall, at minimum 16 years, because then he got out and he's a registered sex offender and convicted felon. So, (sighs) yeah looking forward to reading lucky tomorrow alice siebold 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific uh that said much obliged uh, for folks being irregular uh, with us today and tuning in uh, earlier in the day hope it was worthy of your wednesday afternoon uh all of that said sobriety would be best uh, under conditions of white supremacy racism uh we will need a full functioning brain computer to solve our problems Uh, In addition to being sober, uh, if you are out and about, this is not a time for verbal confrontations with strangers. Uh, If you see someone being rowdy, loud, hostile in public, exit. You should be thinking that this person could be armed. Uh, In fact, this person may have an entire armed entourage. If you did not leave your house ready to die and or kill, exit call the enforcement officials, let them handle it, leave a description, make a report, whatever. But this is no time to be taking those types of risks. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, not on the phone, and paying attention to what's happening around you. Uh, We need all of our uh, attention uh, to be focused, safe as we can be, and to try to minimize contact with Enforcement officials, badge or no. Uh, that said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self respect at all times, in all places. Each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
5: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, your brother. Problem.
2: You're a victim. Yeah. Shut I'm up. a victim of four hundred years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has
6: programmed my condition. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. (laughs)